Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now, I ought to clue y'all. These next few verses are going to be in the King James. They ain't even up there, so I don't have to clue y'all for anything. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to be in the King James Version. I'm going to read a couple more verses, then we're going to pray in verse 30 to the end of the chapter. In Hebrews 11:30, it says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Anybody remember that story? Verse 31 says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I hope you remember that story. In verse 32 it says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Gideon won his battle, and so can we. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for each person who's come here today. And God, I ask you to speak to us today. Lord, I ask you to give us a supernatural ability today to receive your word deep in our spirit. God, I pray that you'd anoint me to say only the things that would honor you, God. Teach us now from your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were listening to those verses that I just read, then you, you heard the name Gideon mixed in with a bunch of other names. And I want you to know, Gideon is a really awesome person in the Bible. The Bible tells us we have these stories for our examples. Gideon's story is amazing. We're going to look at it a little bit this morning. But Hebrews chapter 11 has often been called by many the Hall of Faith. And that's a play on words because great sports figures, um, after they quit playing and have been out of their game for five years, they become eligible to enter to the Hall of what? Fame. And every sport has a hall of fame, and they typically put their best people in there, except Craig Biggio, who does not deserve to be in the hall of fame. If you meet him, tell him I said so. You'll recognize him because he's got forearms like a 300-pound man, but he's about this tall. Uh, anyway, all, that's funny. All sports have a hall of fame, and God gives us this hall of faith. These, these great men and women of God who did extraordinary things in their time. But more so than them doing extraordinary things, I want you to understand it's what God did through them. See, because if we think, wow, Bishop Jakes has done great things. Wow, Billy Graham has done great things. 
Wow, Joyce Meyer has done great things. Wow, whoever your favorite person is has done great things. We need to learn whether it was the Apostle Paul, whether it was Gideon, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, whether it was Rahab. It's not them that was awesome. It was God in them. And the same God that was in them, if you're saved, is in you. And you have an opportunity to allow God to use you in this lifetime. Now, I think most people could tell us some details. Most saved people in the room could tell us something about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, probably Moses. But you might not be as familiar with Gideon. But here he is. He's in this hall of faith. And I want to encourage you in your private time because I don't have enough time today to, to exhaust any subject. But study the life of this man found in Judges 6 through 8. It's an interesting story. And this morning, I want us to see how God used Gideon to win a great battle. Because if you haven't noticed it, we're in a great battle. And I'm not talking about any one specific battle. We can say, oh, the pandemic, that's a great battle. Well, what, what about all the people who are under attack with, with mental health issues? What about all the people that are under attack with fear, worry, nervousness, anxiety? What about the fact that our government is about to sink us another $5 trillion in debt that is going to cripple our children's children from moving forward. I was just talking to my mother uh, and pray for her. She's, she's still going through some health issues. But my mother is 79 years old, and I was just talking to her this, uh, a couple days ago, and she was thanking God that she's uh, able to still be drawing Social Security, because my mom was in that crowd that told me my whole lifetime, well, Social Security's going to be gone by the time I'm old enough to draw it. And here she's still hanging on, sucking Social Security dry uh, 79 years later um, for, for that money every month. But most, there, most people that study stuff, I, I think most people would say Social Security's probably not going to be there for people, young people to get it when it's there. Listen, whether it's there or not, whether this government sinks us another $5 trillion in unpayable debt or not, God is always going to be on the throne. There's, there's evidence of God's working in every difficult time in the history of humanity. The pandemic may not be the greatest battle that you're in right now. It, it might be something work-related. I, I told you, we live on five different spheres of the human existence. Spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, and financial. Your blessings, your problems, the things you're excited about, the things you're discouraged about fit in those five categories somewhere. So I don't know what your challenge is today, but I know God's always got the answer. So we're going to do a little Bible study today. We're going to flip around to some scriptures today. Um, hopefully the sound booth will be able to get some of these on there. It's my fault for not being able to format them properly. So if, if you don't have your Bible, blame, blame not having notes on the screen for me. The rest of this is going to be in the New Living Translation for, for the sound booth. If you can get these up there, it's going to be awesome. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1. We pick up this story uh, with what God is doing in Judges chapter 6. In the first verse, the Bible says the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, period. I always tell you, pay attention to the punctuation. It'll help you understand the scripture. Slow down your reading of God's word. Slow down your, are we trying to get Judges chapter 6 up? Praise the Lord. Um, slow down when you read the Bible. Read it slow enough to understand it. 
How many, now, you better answer, somebody better answer yes to, to this to me because I read with a very high level of comprehension. But I find myself consistently, I'll read something and I'll realize I didn't grab all of it because maybe my mind drifted for just a second or maybe it was a little deeper than, than, I, than I gave the time to read. How many of y'all read, read a portion of Scripture? You have to go back. I got to read that line again. Amen. Okay. That's all the Bible students in the, in the room. The rest of y'all need to catch up. But slow your reading down. The Bible says the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, we understand the Bible tells us we have these stories for our examples. The Israelites in this context represent the people of God. Now, there's some more people of God that are not Israelites. They're people of God in this room. Amen? So they, they represent the people of God, and they did evil in the Lord's sight. Let me ask you before we even get into it today. Is it possible for God's people to do evil in the Lord's sight? Oh, it is, but I like what one church mother, I heard her saying to a group of kids in the hallway at a church one time. She said, baby, God don't like ugly. Y'all hear that dingy, dingy, ding? Is, is the telephone ringing through the speaker system? Praise the Lord. That's a special phone. Um, God don't like, God's people shouldn't do evil in his sight, right? But it happens. Let's, let's keep reading. The verse 1 goes on to say, So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Ouch. Ouch. God's people were acting up, acting ugly, doing wrong, doing evil in God's sight. And there were consequences to their behavior. Now, I've already told you the Bible says we have these stories for our example. So when God's people don't live right, act right, do right, give right, serve right, and be right, guess what? There's consequences. You reap what you sow. The Bible says you can't mock God. His justice is going to prevail. So we see here that the people of God did evil, and the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the devil wrestled them out of the hand of God, and the devil caused them to go over to the Midianites. We got to get away from this fallacious church teaching on the TV on the internet, on the radio, every time something difficult, every time a believer's going through something difficult, well, the devil's messing with my finances. No, God just might be judging your finances because you don't give right. Well, the devil's trying to steal my peace of mind. No, God just may be giving your peace of mind over to uh, adversity because you won't keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Because the Bible tells us to keep our minds stayed on the Lord. But understand this. God is bigger than the devil. We don't have to worry about what the devil is doing, but we better be concerned about what God is doing. Because if God turns you over to the enemy, you are in T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Amen? Let's keep looking. In verse 2, the Bible says, The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. I already see aberrant behavior. They're already messed up and they're getting further messed up because they weren't doing right with God and then when their adversity came they went into hiding. Now I don't think it should take a brain a surgeon, a rocket scientist or a Bible theologian to know if God turns your situation to bad it's not time to run to mountains, caves and strongholds. It's time to run to the Lord. 
Sometimes that, de that defeat that you're experiencing, sometimes that difficulty that you're experiencing is God just trying to nudge you to run back to him. And if you run into caves, if you run into mountains, if you run into strongholds, you're going in the wrong direction. Verse 3 said, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. Well, look what's happened between verse 1 and verse 3. He turned them over to one group of people, to one set of problems. Now even more problems are coming. I've got news for you. Here's a news flash for you. Extra, extra, read all about it. If you're not doing what God wants you to do and things start to spiral in the wrong direction, don't, don't think it's going to get better until you get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to go from being just turned over to Midianites, and guess what? Here come the Amalekites and all the rest of the problems with them. In verse 4, it, it, it says, well, verse 3, it says, And the people of the east would attack Israel, verse 4, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Man, that's, these people were vicious. They were thieves of the highest order. They just didn't come in and steal something. They came in and took everything. And I want you to know, doesn't matter how saved, sanctified, fire baptized you are, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished for the Lord in your lifetime, Christianity is a right now religion. God is a right now God. Jesus said uh, that we've got to seek him daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Some of y'all living off old faith. Some of y'all are living off what God told you five, ten years ago, three months ago. You need to get a fresh revelation of the Lord. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. Present tense. I want to make sure if you don't hear anything else at all, make sure that your God is present tense in your life. Too many people can tell you what they've done for God, what God's done through them, when they used to do this and used to be that. you got to make God a present tense God in your life because if you don't, it's, things are just going to go from bad to worse. Listen to verse 5. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. Hey, it's locust season. I'm seeing them everywhere right now. I, I feel like this guy. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. We have these stories for our example. We got to look at this, the, these historical accounts and learn from them. Say learn. Israel represents the people of God. The people of God start living wrong. Bad things start happening. Goes from bad to worse. Goes from worse to worser. Goes from worser to worsest. It, I'm just making up words because I'm the one with the microphone. But see what happened. Not only did it go bad, they got... They got away from God. God began to punish them. They got further away from God, and everything fell apart, and they were reduced to starvation by the Midianites. I want to tell you, there are people in the body of Christ who have backed up, who have backed away from how, how much they used to serve God, how much they used to do uh, for God and allow God to do through them. And when you begin to back up and get far away from God, God gets far away from you. And if you let yourself stay away from God long enough, the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to them. You are going to be reduced to starvation. But look what happens in the last sentence. It says then. When does then happen? Then always happens after. And you need to make your then come more quickly. 
You need to, if, if things aren't going right for you, don't let them go from bad to worse. If things are a struggle for you, don't let them go from worse to horrible. Then the Israelites cried out to God, out to the Lord for help. I want you to know the same God who helped Moses can help you. The same God who helped Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can help you. And the same God that helped the people of Israel can help you if you'll cry out to him. But here we are, a little context. Israel's in a mess. I think the body of Christ in America is in a mess. I think the people of God in America are fractured, segmented, divided, struggling. There are, people, there are victories all along the way, but I, I see a lot of similarity here. The Midianites were not a new enemy to the people of God. They were an old enemy, but here they come again. And I want to tell you something. It's those things that you've gotten victory over in your life in the past that if you take your foot off the gas pedal of your spirituality will circle back around to defeat you again. It's that adversary. It, it, it's that The Bible says the sin that does so easily beset you. Many theologians think that that's faith for everybody. I personally believe each one of us has a different issue that we stumble into and it's repetitive and if you don't get a hold of it and get on top of it then God is going to allow it to reduce you from where you are these Midianites old enemy they'd stolen from them before they're stealing from them again and I'm telling you there are Midianites in the land today and as a people of God we need to learn how to defeat them if you're just going to sit back and whine and cry, that's not the answer. If you're just going to sit back and moan and sink deeper and deeper into debt, deeper and deeper into depression, deeper and deeper into dysfunction, deeper and deeper into loss and lack, that's not the answer. You need to have your then moment. You need to have your then moment when you cry out to God. But here's a problem I see. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in life of other Christians. Too many times we try to handle our own loss. Too many times we try to fix our own issue. Too many times we try to have the answer for what we should be relying on God to have the answer. And the reason of that is, is one little five-letter word, pride. It's just pride. It is just, see, this is why women historically, not all women, but this is why women historically tend to pray more than men on average. Because men typically, not all men, but men typically are more steeped in pride than women. And if you are proud, you probably won't ask God to help you that much. You will probably try to fix your own situation for so long until you tear it up beyond recognition before you take it to the repair shop. See, that? I mean, you don't have to look any further than having a man assemble a piece of furniture. No man in this room ever used a set of instructions to assemble. You ever used a set of instructions fully to assemble anything? Yeah, it came out wrong. Uh, sometimes it came out right. I put together a bookshelf one time. I, at the end of it, had about seven pieces left over. Gail's like, they've got to go somewhere. I said, oh, they ship extra pieces all the time. Don't worry about that. It'll, it always and forever, the whole thing, it was kind of, in the deep south, we call that cattywampus. It was, a, it was just, it was tilted off a little bit. To, I said, just put the heavy books on the right-hand side. It'll work right, right out. Men typically try to just keep going. It, listen, no real man ever asked directions from a stranger. 
Or, or had his wife tell him which way to turn at the next. Just driving out in the middle of nowhere. Wife say, baby, I think we're lost. We ain't lost. I know where we're going. Well, where are we going, baby? Because we're 400 miles off track. We're following the front of the car. Just following these headlights wherever they shine. Pride will stop you. from. It takes a measure of humility to say, I can't fix it. I can't handle it. God be my rescue. If you let God be your rescuer, he will show himself strong on your behalf. But if you keep trying to go further and further into the darkness, deeper and deeper into your lack, deeper and deeper into your struggle, stop trying to fix whatever's wrong in your life. If we had the time and you had the honesty, we could start with Vicky and go all the way around the room to the back where Terry is and say, what's your biggest difficulty you're facing right now? And the simple answer to everyone's resolve will be stop trying to deal with it on your own. If you, can't, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you've got a God that you believe is bigger, better, stronger, and more capable than you. We've got to learn how to lean on him. Look at Judges uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. In verse 11, the Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. There you go. Uh, if you ever wondered where that came from, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Okay, so here's the story. You got this dude, Gideon. He makes the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's done something great. God's used him to accomplish something great. But where we find him in this story is hiding in the bottom of a wine press, threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You have to thresh wheat outside. He's gone inside because he's scared, or some people might say scared. Listen, as Christians, we should never be scared. We shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be staying up late wondering what's going to happen next. You should know that God is in charge all the time. You should know that God is doing something, and you should just get on the page because threshing wheat um, it, it's like sifting flour. Uh, but in the old days, they had a square box with a screen in it. they shake it back and forth, throw it up in the air. The wind would blow off the junk, and the good stuff would settle down. He's trying to get this accomplished inside uh, because he's hiding. I believe there are people in this room right now that have been hiding from God for a long time. God's giving you gifts and talents. God's giving you a life to live for him, and you are hiding that life. You are, you are not shining forth for God. You are not coming out into the open and being all that you can be for the Lord, and you're scared. Listen, don't be scared. God knows what he's doing. Trust in the Lord, and he will be your strength. Verse 12 says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That might be the funniest sentence in all the Bible. Here is this coward who is claiming to be a child of the Most High God, the God that delivered his ancestors. Here is this coward who was hiding from the enemies of God trying to do a very mundane task and just get enough wheat to have a little bit of bread so he can keep living his woe-is-me life. Listen, some of y'all been living a woe-is-me life for too long. Some of y'all have been living a downcast, downtrodden life for too long. You need to stop hiding from the enemy because here's the reality. God sees you. Get ready as a hero. God sees you as a hero. If you are his child, 
He sees hero in you. Just like every parent sees something good in the child. You ought to, if you're a good parent, if you're normally, morally sane, decent human being, you see your children as better than your enemies see your children. You see your children, they might not have it, but you throw that dreaded word on them. They got potential. Oh, they got potential, don't they? Nobody else can see it but you. They, they, they failed the third grade twice and, 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 are, and are struggling in the eighth grade. But in your mind, oh, that's my, I know she can do it. I know he, the parent sees greatness in every child, even if they're, y'all know, you don't see, we see your kids, but, we, but when it comes to mine, it comes to yours, oh, you see greatness in them. If you miss everything out of the day, get this. If you're a Christian, I mean, if you're just at all a Christian, God sees you as his child. And parents love their kids, and they see their kids better than everyone else sees them. And I want you to know, if you're saved, when God looks at you, he smiles on you, and he sees the hero inside of you, and you need to get to this place. This, this angel of the Lord appears to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon, Gideon's like, who, what? He who? Hero. He says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Did, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? I thank God for the little bit of proper theology that Gideon's got. He didn't say the devil is letting the Midianites take advantage of us. He knew that it was God himself that handed them over. Some of y'all need to quit blaming the devil for the lack in your life and start realizing it's something God's doing based on something you were deficient in. God's trying to wake you up. God is willing, hear me good, God is willing to put more pressure on you than you can deal with so you'll turn to him. Stop believing that lie that you've told the people and people have told you. Oh, oh man, Deacon Jones must be strong in the Lord because you know God wouldn't put more on you than you can bear. God always puts more on you than you can bear. There's no verse in Scripture that says that God will not put more on you than you can bear. It it says that God won't put more on you than you can bear without providing a way of escape. God always puts more on you than you can bear, but he gives you a way to escape out of it, and that's the name of the Lord. And God's willing to put more pressure on you. You don't have to look any further than what he did to Pharaoh uh, in Egypt. When when God God told Pharaoh, let my people go, And he said he would, but he didn't, so God brought one plague. Then he said he would, but he didn't, so God brought two, four, six, eight, ten. And finally, he did what God wanted him to do. There's a message there for you. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, if you're not serving him in the way he wants you to serve him, if you're not living right the way you should be, he's going to keep bringing pressure until you give in. My advice to you would be give in now. Give in now. Let that hero come up out of you. Gideon starts complaining. Now, here's how you know that you're not where God wants you to be. When you are complaining more than you're praising. When you see difficulty more than you see opportunity. When you see 
failing more than you see God rising. Because I want you to know the Bible says that we should give thanks to God who always gives us the victory, who always causes us to triumph. We are triumphant in Christ. Why are people who are triumphant in Christ walking down with a woe is me, cast down in their spirit mindset? Why? Because they're not seeing God for as big as he is. Oh, my goodness. One of the things that uh, sports commentators talk a lot about is leaders who make those around them better. People go back to people like Joe Montana. I've listened to documentaries on players that played with people like Joe Montana. People like, uh, I've heard the same thing said about John Elway. I've heard the same thing said about Tom Brady. Uh, Like or hate these guys, their players said the same things. We always felt like we could still win as long as number 12 was in the huddle. And one of the greatest documentaries I ever saw was that beat-down butt-whipping the Patriots were taking in the Super Bowl. Y'all remember that? It, it was the, they, they came back from the largest deficit ever, and I don't believe that Julian Edelman was walking up and down the sidelines saying this to people because he knew it would be microphone for later. There was no way he could have known they were going to come back and, and win. But in his heart, he, he just kept walking down, up and down, telling them, come on, guys, get your head lifted up. This is going to be a great story. They're going to tell this story. This is going to be a great story. And they came back and they won, and they had confidence because they had a guy that they believed was a winner. You ought to believe that God can overcome every situation in your life. You ought to believe as long as God is in my huddle, I still going to win this game. There's no room in the body of Christ for defeatism. There's no room in the body of Christ for uh, woe is me. God don't care about me. God showed us on Calvary that he cares about us. And we've got to understand, if God is on your side, don't just make it a cliche, if God be for us, who can be against us? You ought to make that a reality that says God's on my side. Y'all better watch out. But here's Gideon thinking wrong. And when you start thinking wrong, you live wrong. And when you start living wrong, you get the wrong outcome. And he's giving this complaining. He's giving this Woe is me, mindset in verse 14. He said, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. All right, now if you understand power, if you understand authority, if you understand uh, the, the strength that we have, the power in being a believer, you understand that when God sends you to do something, you operating in the capacity of the Lord your God. I, I already told y'all, if you told my children what to do, I hope they would do what you tell them because you're older than they are and they've been taught to respect people, even if you're younger than they are. But if, if you went in there and told them uh, to, to go sit in the back seat of your dad's car, they'd look at you like you were crazy. But if you said, your father told me to tell you to go sit in the back seat, they're going to do it more quickly if they believe that their father is the one sending them. you got to understand, we're not trying to live right on our own. We're not trying to spread Christianity on our own. We're not trying to walk in the good ways of God on our own. We have God with us, and God is sending us. You move in the authority of God if, hear me good, if you'll move. The problem is most people won't. The problem is most people stay stuck on stupid. The problem is most people just keep it in park and just sit around wondering, where's the Lord? 
When is God going to come through? Listen, I believe if it was capable, if, if God could, could have, have this thought, he doesn't. But just for human understanding, I, I believe the better question isn't us asking God, when is he going to come through for us? I believe the better question is God asking us, when are you going to come through for me? Because if you know God at all, you understand he's already done more for us than we've done for him. And he tells this coward, he calls him a hero because he sees, he sees strength inside him. What he sees is the, the, the knowledge that Gideon knows how to depend on God. And he said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Now, Gideon don't have a whole lot of strength. If he had strength, he'd be on the battlefield. Gideon is a coward. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is not awesome in his own mind. But God sees him that way because God in you is awesome. God inside you is powerful. God moving through you can overcome anything. And then God gives him this final sentence in that verse, I am sending you. Oh, that ought to give you great power. Listen, you might not have a whole lot of money in your bank. But if Bill Gates authorizes you to go to his bank and withdraw all the money you want, <laughs> if you got a blank check with Bill Gates' signature on it and you walk into his bank, you can walk in there knowing you're coming out with some cash. Do you see anything as more powerful than God? Initially, most people, most church folk will say, no, God's the most powerful there is. Then why do we worry about bills? Nope, God's the most powerful there is. Then why do we worry about sickness? Nope, God's the most powerful there is. Then why do we worry about tomorrow? We've got to understand, we have a God that is in charge and is more capable than anyone or anything else. In verse 15, the Bible says, But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Now, this is where his thinking's off. He's not going to rescue Israel. God is going to rescue Israel through him. And I want to tell you something. We can't do anything supernatural for God, but if you'll get out of God's way long enough and get up from your seat to do nothing and allow God to get involved in you, God can do great things. Now, the Bible says in the Hall of Fame of Faith that these men and women did great things. That's a little short rendition of the greater reality that God, through them, did great things. He's, he said, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Well, ain't you pitiful? Ain't you just, well, we, we, we're, we're the smallest group. We're the down and outers. We're the living doubters. We're the best at doing nothing. And he said, I'm the least in my whole family. Let me tell you something. Somebody had his mind twisted. We can blame it on the devil. We can blame it on people who spoke evil over him. Or we can blame it on him listening to the voice in his own head. I don't know what has you positioned to think that you can't sing on the choir. I got news for you. Listen, I love everybody on this choir. I got a news flash for you. Everybody that ever sang in the choir at every church in the world didn't sing because they could sing. Wasn't because they were good singers. It's because they were willing to sing. God, and and it, this is a great cliche. Get this. Get it down in your spirit. God is not concerned with your ability. He's concerned with your availability. Gideon starts confusing ability with availability. Gideon is saying, I'm not able, but are you available? Because I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I, I got a great, listen, 
here, here it is, praise and worship team. I got a great um, encouragement from my prayer accountability partner, Pastor Gene Dillon, who y'all know. Um, he told me last time he was in the church, he said he was so blessed by our praise and worship team. And I, I said, really? I, I, I said, well, your praise and worship team's off, awesome at, at your church. He said, I'm not talking about um, their, their, uh, their ability. I saw the heart of a people of God focused on worshiping God and giving glory to God. And it blessed me and it moved me in my spirit. We, we don't have to have the greatest singers. We don't have to have the greatest anything. Because here's the newsflash. We've already got the greatest God. And if you'll just let God start using you for something, it's going to be big. It's going to be great. Stop with this gloom, despair, and agony on me stuff. Who put that in your mind? Who put in your mind that you were nothing? Who put in your mind that you couldn't win? Who put in your mind that people were better than you? Even if all that is true in the natural, when you cross over into your spirit realm and you give God all the glory, the God in us is able. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's the trump card. That, that's the get out of jail free card. That's the I can take on the world card. He's, God said, I will be with you. Listen, God does not promise any more to Gideon than he's promised to us. Jesus made a promise to the believers when he was leaving this planet. And he said, I'm with you always. God is with us. He said, I'll be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I want to tell you something. Nothing's impossible with God. Oh, I love that old country song, Little as Much, if God is in it. And I just want to ask you this morning, is God involved with you? And are you involved with him? Is God moving in your finances? Is God moving in your faith? Is God moving in your relationships? Is God moving in your house? Is God moving in your car? Is God on your radio? Is God on your mind? Because it doesn't matter how small Gideon, Gideon said his clan was small and he was the least of them all. It doesn't matter how small your strength may be. If you're letting God get involved with it, God can do great things. So Gideon, he's hiding. He's scared. God shows up, calls him a mighty man of valor, a hero. Gideon says, how can God be with us in the midst of this trouble? you got to understand, and we've talked about theodicy before many times here. Theodicy comes from two words, theo and dk. It, uh, theo is God, and dk is justice. It's the branch of theology that proves that God is just, right, and fair, even in the midst of destruction. When we see destruction, people ask, well, how can you? I've had so many people say, well, I just don't believe that a good and fair and decent God would let little children starve with guacamole be bellies over in the Sudan. Oh, so you're really that concerned about the people over in Sudan? How much money do you give to help the people in Sudan? No, you don't. You're just trying to trash on God. I love what the great preacher, Pastor E.V. Hill, said one time. And he, he was talking about a hurt. Uh, uh, earthquake. When was that earthquake in the World Series? Who was playing that? The Dodgers? San Francisco. I knew it was in California. Um, they, they asked him, how could God let an earthquake happen to, to our great city? 
And he said in great preacher style, as he was known to do, he said that earthquake that shook for seven seconds, the great God of heaven could have made it shake for all night long. Instead of complaining, you ought to be thanking him that it didn't kill everybody on this planet. You've got to get your mind right about how you see stuff. You can see stuff. Everybody's got a story to tell, and you get to tell it the way you want to. Now, are you going to tell the gloom, despair, and agony on me? Are you going to tell the story that, oh, woe is me, everything's bad? Are you going to tell the story that through it all, you're still, you're still saved and clothed in it, mostly in your right mind? Are you going to tell the story of how, how bad things caused you heartache and pain? Somebody died and it crippled you. Somebody left you and it hurt you. Somebody stabbed you in the back and it hurt you. Are you going to say, not by my strength, but by God's strength, I'm still standing in the house of God? giving him praise and looking to him to be my all in all you get to tell how you tell your story you Gideon telling the wrong story but he's trying to get his mind right and God tell him look here I'll be with you you got to understand if you're saved God is with you so Gideon tells him you got the wrong man my family's poor but when God says I'll be with you and you will win Gideon starts to have a spark of what we call faith. See, faith is believing that the impossible is possible. Faith is believing in what you can't see. Now, we've had a lot of people in this country especially gravitate not to the faith message, but the faith movement. The faith message is right. The faith movement is a lie. The faith message says, believe in God And God will do what he wants to do. The faith movement says, if you believe it, you can receive it. It Put a picture of that 911 Porsche Turbo GT3 on your refrigerator. Put a picture of that mansion on your refrigerator. And if you believe in it, it'll come to you. That ain't, that's not biblical faith. That's voodoo. That's new age heathenism. That's universalism. It's not Christianity. The Bible doesn't say have faith in whatever you want to have faith in. And I've had people argue me down and say, I, if I believe it strong enough, it's going to happen. Really? If you believe you can bench press 405 strong enough, it's going to happen? What you think, Elder Keon? Everybody in this room just going to rise up and bench 405? Not a little bit. Well, I just think if I believe it, I can achieve it. You have placed faith, hear me, in faith. You're believing in your ability to believe in what you believe in. But the Bible doesn't say have faith in your faith. It said have faith in God. Now, when you move from believing in what you want to believe in, well, I just, God told me I was going to have that house. Really? When? Where do you see that validated in Scripture? Well, I just believe God speaks to me special. Well, you're a special case. Have faith in God. Stand strong on what God said. Now, if you want to believe him and he's going to give you a house, believe him. Alfred and Aisha stood in faith. Aisha stood in faith for a house and God gave it to him. Rick and Charity stood in faith for a house and God gave it to him. Listen, he didn't give them a 30,000 square foot mansion with a helicopter pad and a helicopter. (laughs) Listen, 
Have faith in God. When If you stop putting your faith in what you can believe for, I'm going to tell you, I wish that foolish message worked. That name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, believe it, achieve it message. If it worked, why do you still have bills? If it worked, why do 85% of every preacher preaching that message wear eyeglasses? I'm not preaching that message. I'm 58 years old as of this week. I turned 58 on Thursday. Happy birthday to me. And still never wore a pair of glasses on my face. And read at least 12 hours a day, every day. Now, it's getting a little blurry. This might be the year. I'm telling you, I'm fatter than I've ever been. My hair is thinner than it's ever been. I'm older than I've ever been. And I need more light to read uh, what I'm reading than I've ever. Hey, I ain't got no shame. Me and Seth go to a different restaurant every night. I'll pull my phone out with a minute, throw that flashlight on it. Some little sassy 20-year-old waiter will come by. Is it too dark for you to read your menu, sir? I said, no, it's just fine because I got my flashlight on it. Why? Well, believe it and you can receive it. Why ain't they believing for perfect vision? Because God didn't say that your eyes would never grow dim. But God said that he would give us the victory. So stop having faith in faith and start putting faith in what God says. Because the Lord said, I will be with you. And the same thing he said to Gideon, he's saying to us. Let's look at the end of the story. In Judges chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, So Jerubbabel, I told y'all last week, or two, last two weeks in a row, a lot of these cats had multiple names. Um, they just had more than one name. They went by more than one thing. Um, and so Gideon, his formal name is Jerubbabel. So he and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Now here's the deal. Gideon is doing what God called him to do. Gideon said, go, God said, go and defeat those Midianites. Gideon started off thinking, hmm, they're rough. God said, you're a hero. Gideon said, hmm, not me. God said, I'm with you, son. You go in my power. So here is the battle. The battle is upon us. Here he comes. He's got his army, and they go up as far as the, as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Now, I can tell you this as somebody who has uh, been the overseer of a church for a long time. Uh, the leader... <laughs> Almost never thinks there's too many people. Are you following me? Um, and, and that's like somebody telling uh, a, a coach, uh, you got too many great players on your team. No coach ever believes he's got too many. If you doubt me, look, look at what the Lakers are lining up right now from 40 years old and down, just pulling in every uh, all-star they can find. No leader ever feels like they've got too many good players on their team. But God said, you have too many warriors with you. He said, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. You from this one verse ought to get the understanding that God wants it. Hear me good. God wants it to come at a cost. 
Stop thinking everything's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to come at a cost. Remember what David said to Aruna, I will not offer God anything that costs me nothing. God paid a big cost for our salvation. And everything worth having is worth paying a price for. He said, you got too many warriors. Y'all going to say you did it on your own. God always wants you to be the underdog. So when you come through and win, you give him the glory. And don't take it for yourself. Verse 3 said, therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Okay, somebody giving a big math on how many they had to start with. <laughs> if you got 32,000 and God says you got too many, skin it back. Personally, I'd prefer to skin that back to 31,999. Maybe we skin it back to 30,000. Maybe we cut it in half just to give you the glory, Lord. No, cut it in more than half. Make it impossible to win on your own. Man, there's so many revelations in this teaching. If you can just grab hold of one, here's one to grab hold of. God wants you to look like you are going to lose. God wants you to not be able to win on your own. He wants you to have to fail without him. So when you put him in it, he gets the glory for it. If you're doing it on your own, God wants you to fail. If you're doing your own strength, listen, I'm telling you, I don't believe a good father would want his children to fail. Sure they do. Sure they do. Your children get out there living crazy, not doing what you told them to do. You're ready for them to learn the hard lesson as fast as they can. So they'll get on the good foot. He said it only left him 10,000 who were willing to fight. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, still too many. <laughs> Come on, God. Bring, bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. If you're going into battle and you had 32,000 people, and then you got them cutting more than half, and somebody said you still got too many, you'd be saying, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we don't have enough. What are you talking about? We don't, we don't. And this was, they weren't going to play Jenga. They were going to kill or be killed. This was barbarian times. This wasn't, this wasn't battleship on a board game. This wasn't a reset button. This was live or die. And the Lord said, still too many. I can tell you, as, as, as an overseer of an organization, uh, when, when, the, when the people start looking smaller, you take notice of it. Then when they look even smaller, you, you take more notice of it. Every, in, in every ministry right now, I've got people telling me, you know, Pastor Scott, we don't have as many people working in the nursery. Uh, now, that, now that so-and-so is not here anymore, uh, well, step up. Go, go find somebody to get to work in the nursery. Somebody will love God enough to get to work in the nursery. Or God will put so much pressure on folk that refuse, they'll take a turn just to get out, on, get out from under the pressure. Well, Pastor Scott, you know, praise the worship team, not as big as it used to. Uh, just an opportunity for somebody to step up. And if somebody won't step up, then, then God will put more pressure on them until they do step up. When God starts to reduce the numbers, something good is happening. doesn't always feel that way, and I know that as a leader. God told Gideon there's still too many. I know, just in my sanctified mind, at that point, Gideon had an eye roll. Gideon had a what? 
Are you sure? Listen, God always knows what he's doing. He said, bring them down to the spring. I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Verse 5, when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Okay, so here's the deal. If we are in a battle and we're marching toward the enemy and we come up on some drinkable water, you can drink that water like this or you can just put your head down in it and drink it. But what happens when you put your head down? You can't see what's coming. You've taken your eye off your, 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 your meaning, your purpose, what you're there to do. And when they knelt down to drink with their mouths in the stream, God said, those aren't the ones you need. In verse 6, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send the others home. Now, we'd have to get Joel Osteen on the phone. Because Joel's the only one that, that has these kind of numbers. And there's a reason for it. If you kiss butt as a preacher every time you stand up with the microphone, people keep sitting there. Friends, God loves you. And we're so glad you came to Lakewood. And I know you, you're shacking up with your girlfriend and cheating on your wife, but you're just a blessing. When you let anything go as foolishness, more people will stay in your crowd. The Bible says the truth separates. The truth cuts. The truth is salt. And you know what happens when you pour salt on somebody else's wound? They run away from you. Now, but I know here's Gideon thinking, are you for real? You can't be for real. We were scared to fight with 32,000. You chopped that in more than half. Now you're running off more. How, how were we not thinking we could win with 30 plus thousand and now you reduce that down to 300? Quick math will tell you. 10% of 30,000 is 3,000. 10% of 3,000 is 300. So 300 is 1% of 30,000. But they started with more than 30,000. So right now with 300 left to fight, he's got less than 1% of a group that he already thought was too small. <laughs> Stop thinking that your problems are so big that the mighty God of Israel can't fix them. He's now with less than 1% of what he started with. And he says, with these 300 men, I will rescue you. He didn't say the 300 men will rescue. He said that God would rescue and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. What if it came down to an America where only you and 299 other people were still standing strong for God? You would think, there ain't enough of us. What if it came down to an America, um, the prime minister of a country, it's not Australia, it's Austria, um, over in the eastern half of the world. About four years ago, he did something based on what he saw happening to London and France. London and France have been so overrun with um, Muslims from Pakistan that the locals now call London, Londanistan. Because there are more Muslims in London than there are native-born people. 
And about four years ago, the prime minister of Austria said, we will not go the way of London and France. And they had, I think it was 70 mosques in their country. He ordered them all shut down, revoked the visa of every Muslim, and sent them out of his country. Because he, he saw too much of what was going on with the Islamization of Europe, and he said, that's not going to be for us. Well, America doesn't believe in slowing down the Muslim role. We, every election, we elect new Muslims to serve in the Congress of the United States of America. Every election, we elect new people that don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to serve as our lawmakers. What if America, and they're going to do it, it's coming, y'all, it's coming. And here, here's the thing. I knew a year and a half ago when the mayor of Jacksonville ordered all churches closed that there were going to be people that were going to bash me for not closing. We've never missed a Sunday service in Abundant Life Christian Fellowship history, and we're not going to miss a Sunday service no matter what the next order comes down for and, and if it takes us, three people, if it takes us, we had a lot of people left. I had people say, Pastor, don't you care about the health of the people? You're making all those people go to church? I'm not making anybody come to church. Whosoever will may come. If you feel like you need to stay home, I encourage you to do that. I don't think any less of you for doing that. If you're taking care of your health, do what you got to do. But let me ask you this. If, if, the, if the size of your army, what if you, you, you don't like your job because there's not enough Christians on it? What if you become the only Christian left where you still take a stand for God? What, well, churches are diminishing across America over the last 10 years. That's a proven fact. What, what if the majority of churches just shut down in Jacksonville? Do we let the diminishing crowd stop how, how big we believe in our gigantic God? Some will. Some won't. I can tell you this. They're softening us up right now to shut churches back down. New York has already said if you're not vaccinated, you can't go to a restaurant, a bar, a movie theater, or a gymnasium. Now they've got churches and grocery stores that they're going to vote on next month. California's done the same thing. Now, so what are you going to do? I, I, feel, I, I, I feel like the saints of old. I don't know what anybody else is going to do. I know what I'm going to do. The Bible commands me. I, I can't back up from what the Word says. I'm not making stuff up. I'm going by the Word. The Word says to gather together in the name of the Lord on the first day of the week to celebrate the highness of our God. They're softening us up, y'all. They're reduced. The body of Christ, the numbers have been reduced. And every church in America is down right now 33 to 50% over they were pre-pandemic. Well, if the pandemic goes up higher, church numbers going to go down lower. If, church, if it don't get small enough, God's going to send another wave. And then the church is going to go down lower. Until Listen, we are at breaking point right now on volunteers for food and clothing. We're, I mean, we've been at difficult point for a long time. Barely enough people to get the work done on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, uh, the three days that it takes to pull off feeding 2,000 people every week out of this little tiny building. We, we've been at, a, at, the, at the stretched point. We're at the breaking point right now. But you know what? Maybe half of them got to go. And then if after half them go, maybe another half have to go. Well, Pastor, there's no way we could. Do you get the point? God wants there to be no way we can pull it off. 
without supernatural intervention. And listen, it might come through supernatural intervention of God doing something miraculous with five people holding that ministry down by themselves, or it may be something God does through supernatural intervention from getting some people off their seat of do-nothing and finally getting involved in what God is doing. You got an opportunity. And, and I'm calling for every person who is physically able to do at least one service a year in our food and clothing ministry. That's doable. You ought to do one every six months, one a quarter. Do something. Get involved with God. But here, I, I, I feel for Gideon. Gideon's got to be like, oh, man, what? Too many still? Okay, so 300? We're going to do this with 300. No, God's going to do this with 300. Got to get God on the front page. In verse 15, the Bible says, When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, now we've skipped verses 8 through 15. You catch that on your own. He bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord God has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Now, based on what he sees in God, he's already declaring victory before the battle starts. You ought to understand, no matter how hard it gets, God's victorious. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the score is, God is victorious. And he's telling this less than 1% of the fighting men he started with, uh, we're about to win this thing. Verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. Now, put verse 16 up there in the King James Version, Rick. Can you do that real quick? I want you, I want you to see it um, in the King James Version. Judges 7, 16. See, in this version, he says a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch. And it's the same thing, but I want the verbiage uh, to match something that will stick in your mind better. Can we get it? He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers, and lamps within the pictures. Okay? So I want you to think of, go ahead and put back to our regular uh, version. I want you to think of a trumpet, a light, and a clay pot. All right? Say trumpet. Say light. Say clay pot. Whether you call it a ram's horn, that's a trumpet. Whether you call it a torch, that's a light. But these three things is what he, listen, they were not going to win this fight man on man. They were vastly outnumbered when they had over 30,000. They're ridiculously outnumbered now with 300. Listen to verse 18. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew their trumpets, their ram's horn, and they broke their pots or their clay jars. In verse 20, then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. Keep following verse 22. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns or their trumpets, the Lord called the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed 
fled to places as far away as Bethshita and Zerah and the border of Abel-Meholah near Tabath. Then Gideon sent the warriors of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, who joined in chasing the army of Midian. What happened? These 300 men didn't have to fight thousands and thousands of people. They did what God told them to, and God made them turn on each other and kill each other. Oh, there's a bigger message coming. In verse 24, Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down to attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at Beth Bara. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterward, the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. Now, I'm going to wrap this up in the next few minutes. I'm going to talk fast, listen fast. Here's what God did with a small group of people. He gave them what they needed to overcome and a situation that didn't look like it was overcomable. He put a trumpet, an empty pot, and a lamp in it, and they blew the trumpet. They broke the pitcher that had the lamp in it, and everybody freaked out. Here's the picture. They descended on this huge horde of Midianites. They separated into three groups. They surrounded them. They didn't look like anybody was coming after them. But it's the same old Western story. You put a bunch of guns in windows with nobody there shooting with them, and, and, and you shoot off some shots, and everybody thinks you've got shooters everywhere. They put, these pot, they put these lights inside these pots, and they broke the pot. And the lights shined out. They blew the trumpet. It sounded like there was more of them than there really was. The enemy freaked out, turned on themselves, and started killing each other. Now, if you want to defeat whatever has been defeating you in your life, you need to do what Gideon did. And here's my point. He heard from God. You've got to start hearing from God. Then we saw that he worshiped God. You've got to start worshiping God. Then he fought the good fight. Listen, it's not without a battle. You keep wondering why does life have to be so hard? Because God's trying to put enough pressure on you to where you stop acting ignorant. God's trying to put enough pressure on you to where you start obeying him. God is going to reduce, hear me good, I prophesy to you now in the name of Christ. If you refuse to do everything that God has told you to do, he is going to reduce your resources to such a deficit that you will be destroyed. But if you'll do what Gideon did and you'll turn to him, and, and you'll worship God, hear from God, worship God, and get involved in what God told you to get involved in, you can see what Gideon saw. So what I want you to see this morning is the three things that God used to defeat the enemy, because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. A broken pot, a bright light, and a loud voice. And those are the same three things that God wants to use in your life to defeat the enemy. Now, many times in Scripture, God is referred to as the potter, and we're referred to as the clay or the pot. We see them putting a light inside a pot. If we're the pot, what's the light inside of us? Christ, God, the Spirit of God is inside us. But the problem is, if you're covering up, nobody can see it, and you can't win the battle when you keep the light covered up. All right? Get the point here. It comes. God uses broken things. You wondering why it has to be so hard? Because God's trying to break some rough edges off you. 
God's trying to put you in a position of deficit so where you will cry out to him. Think about when Jesus fed the 5,000. What did he do? It says he took the bread, he broke it, and he blessed it. Then he used it. He didn't use it till he broke it. He broke it first, then he used it. Some of y'all need to, you need to jump out of your broken time and let God start using you. Because when he starts using you, you're not broken anymore. You're more than you were when you started. But if you just keep holding back, we're all going to go through a breaking. And you can stay in that brokenness. The way to get out of it the fastest is to yield to God and let this divine principle happen. Where God takes something, breaks something, blesses it, and uses it. He takes it, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he uses it. You say God's already took you, you're a Christian. Well, you need to let him break you, bless you, and then use you. Because if you don't do that, you short-circuit the system and you stay broken. God uses broken things you need to get to the place where this principle this divine principle of break bless and use is happening in your life you need to get to the place in your life where you say god whatever you want if, if it all goes to bust if i lose everything i have if 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 if, if, if nothing works out right have thine own way lord have thine own way Listen to Psalm 34, 18. Don't even worry about putting these up. I'm going to read through them and be done. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. If your heart ain't broken yet, God's not even near you. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Jeremiah 4, 3 says, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. you got to break up the hardness of your heart. Fallow ground is not just hard ground that has never been plowed. Hard ground, fallow ground is hard ground that has been plowed and became hard again. It's a fallow ground is a picture of a Christian who's really a Christian that used to be tender toward the things of God but have become hard toward the things of God now. God says break that fallow ground up. I'm telling you when I look around at the body of Christ at large and even this local church in particular, I see a lot of fallow ground it's not producing it's not producing fruit it used to be soft and usable before but it's become overgrown it's become overgrown and it's become hard and God says break up your fellow why do we have to break it up because God only uses broken things because if he used if uh efficient things the things would get the credit, but God wants to get the credit. When those men stood outside the Midian camp, they had the light inside the pictures. Nobody could see it. That's how they snuck up on them. But when they broke the pots, the light was able to shine brightly. I'm going to tell you something. If you just let your light start to shine brightly, the enemy that's been warring against you is going to turn and run. If you just begin to do what God's called you to do, you're going to step out of your season of misery, and you're going to break in to what God has for you. This is what God wants. Come on, Judy. This is what God wants. He, he, he wants to be the light inside us. And he wants us to be so broken that people can see past us and see the God inside us. He wants us to be a broken vessel with a light inside it. But he also wants us to have a loud trumpet that we, sing, that we scream out the praises of our God. When that light is shining, that's when it's time to lift up our voice and declare the name of the Lord. Some of you have declared defeat to your enemy. Some of you have acted like you're defeated in the face 
of your enemy and they don't see the strength that's inside you. You need to break yourself wide open and let the light of Christ shine out from inside you and you need to begin to declare the name of the Lord. They had a broken pot. They had a bright light and they had a loud voice and God gave them the victory. In closing, let me ask you this. Is your pot broken? You're trying so hard to hold on to what you've got. You're trying so hard to stay stuck in your misery. You're trying so hard just to hold it together. Stop holding it together and fall all the way apart. Stop holding it together and let God break you so he can bless you and he can use you. Let me ask you this. How bright is your light? Oh, we teach kids from the littlest. Some of y'all remember being little in church. Uh, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it what? Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Too many people hiding the light of God under a bushel. Covering up the light of God with that spirit of defeat. Covering up the light of God with that spirit of depression. Covering up the light of God with that spirit of lack. Covering up the light of God by talking more about the defeat than the victory. And you got to let that light shine. How bright is your light? The last thing, are you shouting for God? Are you declaring the victory? Are you telling the world about Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm not doing real good right now. If I start telling them how good God is, they, they'll, they'll think I'm a joke. Are you willing to be a joke for the Lord? Start putting the glory on God because he can't fail. One thing Reverend Ike had right in the 70s because he was a con man and a huckster. But one thing he had right, Reverend Ike drove that big Cadillac and wore that white fur coat. And Reverend Ike told the whole world, I can't lose with what I use. And if you really begin to let God break you so that his light shines, you can't lose with what God wants to use. And God wants to use you. God's not going to keep this nursery himself. God's not going to run this food and clothing ministry himself. God's not going to go out and tell this community how much he loves them by himself. He chose to make us his hands and feet. He chose to do the good things that he does through his children. But you got to let that light inside you shine. Some of you have been resisting being broken. I'm going to tell you this. I've been there. And when you give up and you let God have his way, and you finally admit, if I have to be broken all the way down, God, whatever it takes, have your way in me. If I have to lose everything I've ever had and everyone that I've ever cared about, have your way, God. You might be thinking, Pastor Scott, do you really believe that God wants to cause us to lose stuff? If that's what it takes to get you to cry out to God to have his way, he's going to keep taking from you. You don't have to look any further than what he did to Pharaoh. One plague wasn't enough, two wasn't enough, five wasn't enough. It took ten. The Midianites are out there, and they want to steal, kill, and destroy because that's the devil's plan from the beginning. Jesus said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he comes so that we could have life. And not just life, but a more abundant life. I wish you could be honest with yourself right now. Because if you be honest with yourself, most people in this room are not living an abundant life. Most people are not living a life of abundance and overflowing joy in Christ. Most people are losing ground to the enemy. But if you'll let that light on the inside of you shine out, and 
you'll begin to shout the praises of God. I declare this to you. The same God that caused the Midianites to turn on each other and kill each other will cause your enemies to turn on each other and do the same thing. And then they'll leave you alone. You ought to be ready to be left alone by every adversary. You ought to be ready to get out of your brokenness. You ought to be ready to get out of your difficulty. You ought to be ready to leave your season of lack in the rearview mirror. But it doesn't come without a cost. You got to be broken. David called out to God and he said, Search me, O God, and try me. Show me every wrong way inside of me. You got to just break yourself open before God and let him know. I'm on your team, God. You're the captain of my salvation. You're the author and finisher of my faith, and I'll follow you. I'll follow you, God. See, when that happens, you won't have to keep fighting this enemy that you think has been beating you. Mental struggle, emotional pain, whatever it is, God will turn that away from you. I'm ready for you to walk in your season of victory. They walked in a great season of victory. Wasn't a victory they should have won. Wasn't a victory they could have won. Wasn't a victory they were able to win. They didn't have the answer. But God told them to do it, and God was on their side. There's things God told us to do, and I declare to you today, He's still on our side. We need to worship God more than ever. But to do that spiritually right, we've got to be broken so His light can shine through our lifted up voices and give us a victory. Whatever you're facing today, the divine principle will never change. The Lord wants to take you and break you. But he won't leave you broken. After he breaks you, he'll bless you. And he'll use you for his glory. That's the picture we see in the Lord's Supper. That's the picture we see in the feeding of the 5,000. And that's the God that we serve today. Real question is, are you willing to go through something for God's glory? Because those 300 men, they were up against it. They were up against overwhelming odds. You might be up against it right now. You might be in some overwhelming odds yourself. You might be going through some stuff in your family right now, in your finances right now, in your health right now. I don't know. But I know when the odds seem overwhelming, you're in the right place. Because then you can cry out to God and ask God to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And when we let God have his way, he always shows himself strong. I want to see God show himself strong on your behalf. Last verse I'm going to give you. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth looking for just one person whose heart is loyal to him so that he may show himself strong on their behalf. God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. God wants to bring healing where there's been hurt. God wants to bring joy where there's been sadness. God wants to bring victory where there's been defeat. And his eyes are on you. But is your heart loyal to him? If you will push out everything in you that turns away from God and finally turn to God in fullness, he will show himself strong, not for your sake, but for his sake. God wants to get glory out of your life. You get to choose. Will you enter into this divine principle of letting God have you, letting God break you, letting God bless you so that he can use you? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that even in overwhelming odds of difficulty that you are still God. You are unshaken. You are always established on your throne. And God, I pray for every hurting person in this room, Lord, that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. God, I pray for every person facing difficulty right now, overwhelming odds 
over overwhelming obstacles, God, I pray you show yourself strong on their behalf. I know that we've got to be loyal to you, God, so help us be loyal to you so that you can get the glory from all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.